Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals, or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendick people in the Barren region of South Australia. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Welcome to another episode. It really is so great to have you. Thank you for joining me. It's my great pleasure to welcome Eliza Hull to the podcast this week. Eliza is a musician, a writer, a speaker and a disability advocate and a mum of two from regional Victoria in Australia. Eliza is an award-winning musician. Her music has been described as stirring, captivating and heartfelt. She's regularly played on radio around Australia and internationally, including on the ABC, Radio National, the BBC, Double J and Triple J. She recently performed her new song, Running Underwater, on ABC's Q&A TV show and performed at SXSW in Austin, Texas and Big Sound Festival to showcase and present a panel on accessibility. Eliza's songs are also featured in ABC Kids TV show And Then Something Changed, ABC's The Heights and American TV shows Awkward, Teen Wolf and Saving Hope. Recently, Eliza was awarded the Music Australia Amplify Award, the APRA Mentorship from Women in Music, the National Leadership Award from the Australia Council and Arts Access Australia, and the Women in Music Award. Eliza's debut EP, Dawn, came out in 2012 and showcased her eclectic approach to sound. Later in that same year, Eliza recorded her second EP, The Ghosts You Never Catch, which is full of the intensity, emotion and storytelling which characterises Eliza's music. Eliza has her fifth studio record coming out very soon, which will feature Here They Come and Running Underwater. Eliza is making change in the music industry. The time is now for greater representation of disabled musicians and Eliza is a huge part of this movement. As an author, Eliza has been involved in three books. Come Over to My House, with Australian author Sally Whippen, is a picture book that explores the home lives of children and parents who are deaf or disabled. She's the editor and creator of We've Got This, Stories by Disabled Parents. It features 25 stories from disabled parents from around Australia, and the book was developed after a very successful podcast series on ABC's Radio National. One in five Australians has a disability, and disability presents itself in many ways, yet disabled people are still underrepresented in the media and in literature. 
Eliza was a contributor to Growing Up Disabled in Australia, the book compiled by writer and appearance activist Carly Findlay, OAM. And in the book, more than 40 writers with a disability or chronic illness share their stories in their own words. Eliza is also a panellist and speaker and has spoken at the Human Rights Convention, Free and Equal, for the NDIS, Brunswick Music Festival, the Wheeler Centre and the Changes Music Conference. Eliza was a panellist on ABC's Q&A TV show and she's also an access consultant for live music venues and organisations. I sincerely hope you'll be inspired by Eliza to make positive changes in your own workspace, community, or perhaps even your own mindset. The music you'll hear today is Eliza's own, and you can find more by going to her website, elizahull.com, or I've placed a link in the show notes. I really hope you enjoy today's episode, and thank you again for tuning in. such a pleasure to meet you and to have you on the podcast thank you for coming on thank you for having me I've got to admit I've been a fan of your music for quite a while you've got incredible voice it reminds me like of a bit like Janice Joplin with that sort of growly kind of thing you got going on Um, oh thank you so much yeah she's a big influence of mine actually so that's nice to hear (laughs) (laughs) so um whereabouts are you in Victoria so I live in regional Victoria in Castlemaine yeah, right. I yep. Um, how many is in Castle Maine? Is that like a big one? No, no. I don't know the exact figures, and I know that they're constantly changing. We're getting a lot of people coming to Castle Maine from Melbourne, especially uh, during COVID, which we still are, are in. But um, you know, a little bit posted, I guess, and we're still getting that real influx of people, especially from the northern suburbs of Melbourne, moving to Castle Maine. It's about an hour and. 20 minutes down the freeway and you can get an express train for an hour uh, to Melbourne as well. So it's quite close to Melbourne, but also Mm -hmm. has the real qualities that a regional town has. So it's really beautiful. Yeah, that's nice. I just came back from a week in um, Ballarat, which I don't think you're further north, I think. That's right. So I saw some signs actually. Um, And we have this, like in South Australia, we say castle. (laughs) We don't say castle, but my mum's Victorian, so she often says yeah. things like that. funny, isn't and it? It just reminded me straight away when I saw the sign. Yeah. So there you go. That's quite funny. <laughs> So as I said, you're a singer, but you're also an author and you're a disability advocate having disability yourself and you do speaking. Um, so what sort of came first for you? The Was it the writing or the music that, that you sort of got into first? 
Yeah, so the music came first. Um, it was kind of the deal with my parents. So I wouldn't be able to leave the home, my hometown of Obudonga, um, unless I had a uni degree to go to. <laughs> and so I enrolled into a Bachelor of Communication in Journalism, um, which I'm really glad I did because in the end I've really used those skills anyhow. Uh, but I kept just deferring the course and, and just joining various bands and playing lots of shows because that was really what was calling me was singing and music. <laughs> I really wanted to just be a singer. And uh, so, yeah, really from the age of 18, that's what I've done and I've done lots of various projects as a singer and performer. Uh, but now, yeah, I've gone into more of the writing space. So I started by putting out a, a parenting anthology called We've Got This. Uh, which is about disabled parenting. And I shared my own story and interviewed various other parents and they also wrote their own stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've just completed uh, an international version of that. So with British and American and Canadian writers and interviewed those people over there, which will come out in February of this okay. year. Yeah. And then, yeah, worked worked on a children's book as well with Sally Rippon who is a good friend of mine and also lives in Castlemaine. And it was just my idea to create a book that represented various families with disability uh, in a way that was authentic and fun and lively. And uh, she was really on board with the idea and, and it was very collaborative working with Sally. Um, I think people often question, how can you co-write a book with somebody? But it really is a co-write with Sally because we sit around at a table we share our ideas, we go back and forth, you know, she writes a bit, then I write a bit, then we go, you know, so it was very collaborative and such an enjoyable process that we're working on our second book now. Oh, great. I actually had Sally on my podcast last year and she was talking about your book, um, Come Over to My House. And I thought it was great because I work in early childhood education and there's not very many books, I wouldn't say there's hardly any, if there, if any, um, that use the the language and um, make people aware um, of of all the different ways families can exist and homes can exist, um, and to also make um, to make parents aware of yeah of that language so that then they can educate their children and they can be educated themselves mm. on, on appropriate ways. Um, to talk about different families, um, which mm-hmm. I thought was fantastic. And it's good, you know, for educators too to have the right tools to be able to communicate with children. Um, so I just find the kids, kids know everything and they're so clever. And then then adults get their get their views into the kids' heads and they all change and it's terrible. So, so true. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> can you can you tell us what the next book's about or is it a bit of a secret at this stage? Mm, it's about um the social model of disability, really. So yeah, right. the, social, the social model is that the world is disabling. Uh, so that really was like a real aha moment for me when I learned the social model. So it made me think about, well, how is the world disabling? For instance, when I arrive at a building and because I have a physical disability, it means if there's stairs up into that building, that's a building I can't get into. Whereas if there was a ramp up into that building, I would feel less disabled by my environment. Mm-hmm. And that really was like, oh, wow, like it's not up to me to change and that I don't need to be fixed and that, you know, I don't have a problem and a deficit. It's actually what if we change the world to be more accessible, change the world to be more inclusive 
Uh, and, you know, that can be lots of different re reasons and ways. Um, you know, for instance, having an Auslan interpreter for people that are deaf or having uh, image descriptions for people that are blind. Mm -hmm. um, that's all the way that we can change the world to be more inclusive. So the, the children's book is really, in a way, a explainer of how we can change the world. And it's, uh, it has two characters, a disabled child and a non-disabled child. And uh, it, it happens due to the disabled child inviting, uh, sorry, rather the non-disabled child inviting the disabled child over for a play and realising mm -hmm. that their house isn't accessible. Mm -hmm. uh, and so feeling really bad about that and um, not talking to the child for lunchtime because they feel so embarrassed and bad about it. Uh, and then they then go to the playground. Uh, they decide that that's the best way to, to meet after school and the playground's inaccessible as well for mm -hmm. this wheelchair user. Yep. And so that's when they decide that they're going to build an accessible world together. Yeah. And they, they do that in a, you know, a really beautiful way. Uh, and I guess, yeah, just to show how we can just change the world and we don't need to change the person. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a really powerful message. Um, that, that social model of disability, that's, I'd, I'd never heard it described that way. Um, and when I, I think it was Carly Finlay that I first heard it said through and mm. I just thought, oh, like it, it, it's obvious. It makes so much sense. But why is our world reluctant to do this? Like why do we have yeah. to? only cater for particular people how is yeah. that okay you know um that's fantastic you're doing mm. that because like mm. I said like the kids they're amazing and if we get the kids keep to keep doing what they want to do the world will change and exactly exactly be, be fantastic yeah yeah and I think you know the the kids are the future so that, I mm. feel like it's so important that that's where we start really with yeah. um changing the way the world sees disability to a song that you performed on q and I'm not sure when that was actually when was that uh good question so it's like what year is it yeah. <laughs> uh it was the end of 2021 yeah right and I actually watched that again this morning because I remember when I saw it for the first time and it was just had me in tears um and it had me in tears again this morning um but that's that's literally that's the description of how it feels to try and fit into a world that doesn't include you. Um, and that mm. sounds a horrible thing to say, but it's true, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like that, that analogy of, you know, running underwater was just a way to say how heavy it can feel at times when you feel really different. Uh, but not only different when you feel like you don't belong really, and you don't, uh, you don't feel included in a world and you feel discriminated against. And yeah, that, that's when it becomes really hard. I think that uh, when I did the parenting book, we've got this, it really showed that the greatest obstacles parents with disability face is not what happens inside the home. It's actually what happens outside the home where you face medical discrimination or people staring or inaccessible, mm -hmm. inaccessible spaces. And um, yeah, so I think that, that it's really up to society to start you know, recognising that we are 20% of the population and that we deserve to include in being included in the world. Mm. 
Absolutely, yes. Running underwater Cause I'm not getting far Running from you I remember when I was five They told me to walk in a straight line The podcast that you did we've got this did that come after the book or was that before the book yeah so it was always an idea my idea that it should be a book first Mm -hmm. and foremost uh that was because really it was just I wanted a book like this to exist when I was deciding to become a parent and I couldn't find anything out there there was absolutely nothing and um so luckily at at that time I saw that the ABC was offering scholarships for regional people with disability And so I applied with the idea to make a series on parenting with disability and it got chosen, which was great. And that then became We've Got This. Mm -hmm. After the audio series went so well, I then pitched the idea as a book. But it was always my idea that it would be a book. So it was great that that (laughs) happened. Oh, that's wonderful. Good on you. So you mentioned about being a parent. How many children do you have? So I've got two children. Uh, Mm -hmm. One is seven and one is two. Oh, awesome. In the, in the, you know, mists of (laughs) full on parenting, young children. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that, that age gap. I've got seven years between my two. Oh, there you go. Fun, fun times. I've got seven and almost 15 and it's just, you just feel like, I don't know, you're in two worlds at once. (laughs) I bet you feel like that at times. Absolutely. A toddler and a, and a seven year old. Yeah. Yeah. you found then that the children have fit into your career I guess doing your music and doing your writing did that sort of take a break at all when you had your kids or was that something that you used to sort of keep going I suppose and keep your identity while you became a mum yeah I haven't I haven't really stopped I think the first uh pregnancy and birth so that was my daughter Isabel I think I I took a bit more time off. I gave myself that break after giving birth. I might have had nine or ten months. I mean, that's not even that much um, of just doing absolutely nothing. Um, but then, yeah, started to, you know, make more music and um, released my album at that time. So it, that was already recorded. So I recorded the last song when I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of felt like I needed to get that out anyway. And um and then with um, Archie, who's, you know, two and a half now, um, I took, yeah, maybe six months off and then just kept going. And I guess it, the way it's fitted in my life is that uh, because I don't really work for a person, mm-hmm. I'm kind of freelancing with my music and my speaking engagements um, and my writing, it just kind of fits around them and that's really worked really well. So, for instance, when he naps for the two hours in the day, I just get a lot done and I think yeah. having that constraint of time has actually been really beneficial for me because it's like, okay, two hours, go. Uh, <laughs> and then eight till ten, I also work. The other yep. two hours of the night in the night 
Um, but yeah, sometimes it can be challenging and um, we haven't used any childcare up until this point, but um, that's because I've got such an incredible mother-in-law. So at any time I'll be able to say, can you come and stay? And we've got a really great, um, luckily when we bought our house, there's a guest house at the back of the house. So yeah. she she gets to you know be in her own space and come and stay and she'll do that anytime I go away. Yeah. That's awesome. Having that yeah. support's massive, isn't it? To be oh, able to yeah, I wouldn't someone. be able to do what I do without her. Yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely relate to that, mm-hmm. having my family here. I was thinking about that the other day, like the, the times when you've got gigs on at night and or rehearsals or anything, like just how would you do it if you didn't have help? Like you just couldn't. No, like, no it's just, exactly. I just take yeah. it for granted sometimes, I think, that yeah. I don't know. It's pretty important. So something I'd like to talk to all my guests about is this concept of mum guilt, and I put that in air quotes because I think it's mm. it's a I don't like the word because I, I hate the word guilt. But have you got any thoughts about that? Ugh, um, well, yeah, I mean it's a huge thing for me. I think for me it was it's when I'm away I feel it the most. So I really don't like the feeling when I'm at an airport or in a different city. And I see a, a mother with their child. It just mm. like, yeah, I'm just like, why am I not that mother? Why am I here? Why am I doing all of this? Like it just, yeah, it feeds into that guilt. Uh, it can be really a horrible feeling. Um, and then you kind of realise that who knows what that mother's feeling in that moment. And maybe on, you know, tomorrow she'll be going on a trip or, mm. you know, I guess it just, for some reason, you always think that you are doing the wrong thing. And and I guess what I've realised is when I'm at home, I'm sometimes feeling like, oh, I really want to do some work. <laughs> and then when I'm working, I really want to be at home. So <laughs> I think that ultimately being a mother, it makes you really feel very divided. Um, yeah. So it's just a constant uh and I went to America in March last year. That was a big thing to go for. I went for 11 days uh, without the kids. And, yeah, that was really very tricky. And only because it was such an incredible opportunity and that I had got the funding to go, did I go. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were actually fine. It was me that struggled the most, <laughs> always the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm off to the UK in May this year for a tour yeah. for the month yeah. of May and I've decided we're all going. So they're oh, going to go as a family okay. this time Yeah, and just make a trip of it and really enjoy it. Oh, good on you. Mm. Yeah. Oh, look, I, that, it's, it's a very common thing people talk about this, this when, you, when you're doing your work or you're doing your art or creativity, you feel bad because you're not with your kids. But then when you're with your kids, you think, oh, geez, I really want to be going to do that. Like, <laughs> it's just a constant, constant battle in your head, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. It yeah. drags you in half. And yeah. Oh, I don't know. If there's a there's no answer to it. You just got to exactly. navigate it. How, exactly. how, we're all so different how we deal with it. So.
How has becoming a mum changed or has it changed the way that you write your music, approach your music? Yeah, I think that um, just kind of what I was saying before around the fact that when you have time constraints, you generally, you can, it can either go two ways. For, for somebody it could be that that in the end is like, the, you know, you can't be creative because you feel like you're under the pressure. But for me, it's worked really as an advantage because it's given me that kind of like, okay, you can't just sit here on the piano for a day anymore <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, maybe think of a verse. You've really got to like get it out. And so I think that that's what's helped me the most. I've also just um, wanted to do it really right this time. So for this next record that I'm about to put out which has running running underwater on it mm -hmm. uh, that I did it on q and I just made sure that it was really well executed and like I looked into every lyric and just I guess that was a bit more want to do if I'm if I'm going to be away from my kids if I'm going to leave the house and, and spend all that time and spend all that financial money and, into my music um, then I really should be putting everything into it and doing it really right so I guess that's what has led to that whereas perhaps before children I just would have been like oh it's fine like you know <laughs> let's just experiment <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah whereas now it's very um yeah I don't know I guess what what the word is just uh it's 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 has to be a bit more professional probably <laughs> ultimately mm. yeah um I was thinking the other day when I make my music, I always think it might be the last go that I get to do something mm. because now that I have two children and I'm getting older, you know, so I feel yeah. like that that I take I have that sort of mentality because I feel like I might not get another 10, if you know what I mean. It's That's like right. I've got to do this because I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to put this in a song, so I've got to do it this time because I'm never That's right. another 10. Exactly. Oh dear. Which sort of makes you feel old. Now I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I really relate to that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that you need your music and your creativity to keep you going as a mum to have that outlet it's really important for you yeah yeah I think it it I mean I've, I feel like mothering is creative though as well I think mm. being you know doing craft activities or even just the way that they look at the world is really creative mm. and you know we spent almost half the day looking at the clouds making images from the clouds the other day and I was like wow we really are they really keep you present don't they in the moment uh and so I find mother mothering creative just like I find cooking creative mm. um but I think you know that outlet of singing for me is just something that I just always want to do and have always really done since I was little and it's just an outlet it's like a you know, if you're like feeling like emotional or if you're feeling heightened or you just, it just, it 
expressing that it enables me to feel like I'm getting it out. Mm. So what inspires you when you write your lyrics and write your songs? You obviously your 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 disability and your place yeah. in the world. Do you do your kids come through as well in your writing? Not yeah, no, not really. Yeah. I mean, actually that's a lie. Uh the the record that I released last how we disappeared uh, was really about moving away from Melbourne, away from the city. And there was one song on there that's called Valentine. And that was because my daughter is born on Valentine's day. It actually kind of seems like a bit of a love song that you could think it was about a relationship, but yeah, yeah it's about her. Uh, so yeah, I haven't written a, a song about my son yet, but maybe one, one day <laughs> this particular record that's about to come out. Yeah. It doesn't touch on the kids at all. It's about, um yeah like unraveling my you know my true self being authentic uh identity my disability um yeah and just kind of things from the past as well when you started writing uh I got given a piano luckily well unlucky unlucky and that somebody passed away um, but lucky in that they left it for me um when they did and they um they wanted somebody that was wanting to be a musician to take it and that was I think when I was about 14 and so when the day that it arrived I sat on it and wrote my first song. It just kind of poured out of me. Um, yeah. yeah, and I look back at that time because I'm like, wow, the chords are, for that song are really quite advanced, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not so much lyrically. <laughs> but uh, it was just like a, you know, angsty song that I wrote yeah. about, about heartbreak. Mm. Uh, were you very close to the – sorry, this is getting personal. You can, you can tell me if this is not appropriate. The person that passed away that had the piano, no. did you have a connection with them at all? No, not at all. So that's why, yeah, I didn't – I might felt a bit disconnected by that. But um, it was actually just uh, my father owned a, a business, a screen printing business, and his graphic designer, that was his mother. Oh, okay. So it was really just like a yeah connection to the family, and yep. he's he's a yeah, piano because your daughter you know is a musician. Hmm. Oh, that's nice that it got got passed down and yeah, and it's still my piano. Use. Yeah, oh, still my piano. Lovely. So I've still got it in the studio out, outside, and um, yeah, it's great. I still play oh, on it. Oh, that's nice. Um, do your kids play music at all? Are they interested in it? Yeah. So my daughter's learning piano and. Uh, we just got her a keyboard for Christmas this year and yeah, she's absolutely loves it. So yeah. that wasn't something I pushed or it was like, you know, she does karate, she does piano, she does circus. It was like, these are, yeah. this is on offer. What would you like to do? And we always check in and say, you still want to go there? Cause we can stop that, but not absolutely loves it. So, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to be one of, I guess I didn't want to be the one that pushes her to do, to be, to do what I do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> I, I, tried, I tried for many years to get my son to, I didn't, pu- didn't push him. I'd just say, oh, do you want me to show you something on the piano or do you want me to teach you a song? Or any, my husband plays 
guitar. Do you want to play dad's guitar? No. And then he picked up the recorder, which turned into the bagpipes. (laughs) Oh, wow. There you go. And I have a feeling that he might deliberately pick something that neither myself or my husband knew anything about, so we couldn't yeah. continue. <laughs> was going to show him how to do it. But wow. it's lovely. It is not. Like yeah. I think as a, as a you know, a musical parent, you like you want your kid to experience it because you know how great it is, you know, mm. you, you know how much you love it and how much it gives you. And, you know, it's not about being good at something. I think you just oh. want them to experience how amazing Absolutely. it can be. Yeah, so I was very pleased when he decided to play something <laughs> even though it's really loud <laughs> oh, it's, good oh, it's um, a nice sound though actually back oh it, mm. honestly it's one of those instruments you just when he he plays it sometimes you'll take it out in public and people just love it like they just mm. people love hearing it you know mm. when it's played well it's, a, mm. it's, a, it's <laughs> you're listening to the art of being a mom with my mum, Alison Newman. So with your with your music and your writing, do you sort of want your kids to see what you're doing as Eliza, sort of mm. in addition to what they see as mum? Like is that important to you that they, they see that you, you do things other than mothering? I th- I yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that... Yeah, I think it it kind of comes as a surprise in a way when they finally realise that you are an individual. <laughs> I think my son is two and a half. He has no idea that I have any individual hopes or dreams. <laughs> it's all about him at the moment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Isabel, my daughter, I feel like she's starting to really get it and, and it's, yeah, it's really beautiful to for her just to witness my, you know, songwriting process and the shows, to come to the shows and, and see what I do and, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and in regards to your advocacy, is that important that the kids see that, that you, you're really trying to create a world for everybody, that it's an yeah. inclusive space? Yeah, I'd almost say that's more important actually. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that disability is, is really ingrained in this home, the word... Uh, what it means, how we treat people. Uh, so I feel really hopeful that both um, uh, my kids, Archie and Isabel, will be just really inclusive children. Mm. And they've already shown me that. Uh, yeah, I think they just, like, they care really ultimately about me and, um, yeah, they just see disability as something that ought to to be celebrated and not feared and yeah I can really see that already playing out Mm. no that's awesome that's Mm. so good I wanted to ask you, do you, because I learned this with Sally, I must admit, I'm very naive when it comes to the world of inclusivity and how to how to engage with people on how they like to be um, mm. referred to. Do you like mm. to say you have a disability or you're a person with a disability? Yeah, I mean, any, any of those. Um, 
I generally say I'm a disabled person or I'm a person mm-hmm. with disability. Um, disabled, so that's like identity first language. Yeah. Uh, so basically, you know, for a long time, so for instance, 80s, uh, there was a lot of um, words that were used instead of disability, for instance, Um differently you know I guess even just differently abled Mm -hmm. or um handicapped um there are a lot of worse uh terminology and Mm. disability slurs that were used and so um people within the disability advocacy space were fighting for people first language to remind people with a uh, disabled people were people mm. because we were being called so many other things uh, but now we're moving into a space where we don't feel we need to remind people that we're people you don't need to say people with disabilities just to say disabled person is that um, I'm you know I'm proud of my disability I'm proud of the identity uh, and I don't have to remind you that I'm a person. And you, if by you know saying that I'm disabled, you can see the, the barriers that we need to change as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's you know it took a little while, and I for me to say disabled person because I just realised that I was actually holding on to a lot of ableism around disability. I was thinking that disability was a bad word or a negative word, or mm. that it meant that you were less than. That was something that I had really had to work through and realise that that was just because that's what I'd been shown time again in media or been taught at school mm-hmm. and just by people's attitudes. So uh, it's always, you know, what's wrong with you instead of, you know, like can you tell me about your disability? It's always like that kind of perceived as as a negative. People will often say how sorry they are and how bad they feel that, I, you know, am disabled, whereas I just feel like that actually in the end makes me just feel worse about myself. Like I think it's more like I feel terrible that you live in, a, in an, in an inclusive, uh, sorry, rather, that you live in an inaccessible world. Like I think that that's how we need to f- phrase it. And mm. um, like when we really look at the world, I mean, diversity in all its forms is really what makes the world, I think, a great place to live in. We wouldn't want everyone to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, and, and this is so true in so many sectors like schooling and, I mean, that's the only thing that I can think of right now, but everywhere in in sort of white male culture is things have got to be the same because that's easy and you can control it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's, yep. yeah. So when you were growing up, like you said, your dad had the screen printing business, were you sort of inspired by that to think that you could, if you wanted to sing, you could sing, you know, people can have their own, I mean, not business, but, you know, you don't have to work for someone else or anything like that? Like was that? Um, Yeah, I think maybe like seeing that. Um, I also, my mum was a drama teacher at school. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, having her be so creative and I was actually her student at, at 
in year 11. Um, so I think, you know, being in her classroom and seeing the way that she made um, art and drama really fun and mm -hmm. enjoyable and you can get paid to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I got those kind of skills from her. Uh, but I think they ultimately they were being realistic as well in the way that they saw singing for me. They saw it as something they really were proud of with me and, and but, but ultimately maybe something that would have to be a hobby. And uh, I think I'll probably surprise them that as to how much I've just, A, kept the determination and the, um, the need going, but also just how well it's gone in many ways. Mm. Mm. Yeah, good on you. Because that, that is something that a lot of people I have on this show, they set out like as, you know, teenager high school, they're going to make art their career. And mm. then their parents might say, oh, you know, you know, might not pay the bills, you know, get a real job, that sort of mentality. Yeah. And then in their sort of midlife, maybe after they've had kids, they go back to that creativity. Mm. And it's like, I don't care so much, you know, I mean, obviously money is important, but, you know, enjoying yourself in your life is pretty important as well. Exactly. I think, you, you know, you realize that as time goes on, like, how, you know, let's just be happy instead of feeling like we have to do certain things. And I think I went to a, um, it was actually by a publisher and they were looking ahead at the future generations. And I think more and more from what they're predicting, we will see uh, young people choosing what they love instead of what they think they need to do. And uh, it'll be workplaces that are based on what you're talents are instead of again what you think you need to do or you think you should do mm, I love that mm. yeah it gives you hope for the future doesn't it yeah exactly you know, people are thinking yeah. about that because that's that's I don't know my son yours are a little bit younger but my son's at the point where he's got to start choosing subjects for year 11 and 12 for what mm. he wants to do when he leaves school and I was like mate just pick stuff that you enjoy like no yeah. one knows what they want to do. Like it took yeah. me until I was 40 something to find a, you know, career that I really loved. So exactly. don't feel any yeah. pressure. <laughs> and I feel like we do better at the subjects that we love really, don't yeah. we? Yeah. That's it, isn't it? You've got yeah. to be passionate about things. And yeah. I think that's why I didn't do very well at maths because <laughs> my brain doesn't work that way, but I just had no interest in it. Like, this oh, maths was exciting. not my friend at all. No. <laughs> Even business maths, that's true. Oh, God. Yeah. It, but yeah. yeah, it's funny. When you go over overseas in May, is that for the international version of the book or is that for another? Yeah, I think it's like tying that in uh, as well as doing a tour. So I'm doing yeah. shows, yeah, all through March, uh, uh, not March, uh, May, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, all around the UK. Oh, um, yeah, so in lots of different theatres and also at the Great Escape Festival. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, that would be incredible. Well, I'll put some links in the show notes because I do have international listeners. So if anyone okay, is going to be in the neck of the woods, yeah. I'd highly recommend going to see you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. You're pretty awesome. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share before I let you go 
No, I think we touched on everything. Yeah, it yeah, was a really beautiful. good interview. So, Thank you so much. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.